0: Good morning doesn 't sound like you guys just got an extra hour of sleep. Good morning <laughs> we have I was just talking to someone uh, a couple friends out in the lobby and uh, or the hub sorry that 's the hub um, and they they were talking about the the proposal to do away with daylight saving time and uh, and I agree with, with the spring forward. I think we could do away with that one. But I really enjoy that extra hour of sleep. And uh, I, I think, you know, for those of you that are lobbyists out there, grab the ear of whoever your politician is. But I think we should enact a, an hour every Sunday. I, I think we could all agree that an hour of extra sleep, right? Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, we may be in yesterday, you know, after 24 hours of, of going backwards. But I think it's a great idea. Um, so, that being said, um, my name is Jeremy. As Pastor Tom uh, mentioned, I am a pastoral intern here at Faith, and I, I started with the Celebrate Recovery team. Um, and, and I would like to personally welcome anyone that's new. I know he already mentioned that, but I know how intimidating it can be to walk through those doors for the first time. Uh, and I just want you to know that God has you right where you're supposed to be. Uh, I don't know what that purpose is, and you may not know what that purpose is, but you are here for a reason. Uh, and I just pray that you will uh, continue to come, uh, because Pastor Tom, Pastor Brent, Pastor Gary, they do an amazing job teaching God's Word, and uh, I, there's some pretty big shoes to fill here. Uh, for those of you that have heard me before, I have some great news for you. I will not cry today. That's not in my sermon. Uh, that's typically... Uh, typically, something that I do so that that will not happen. Gus just got it out of me. Actually, I was over there bawling like a baby during communion. So, thank you for that, Gus. <clears throat> the, the my hope this morning is that what we what will come out of here um, with is, is the continuing of the stirring of our hearts through the Holy Spirit, continuing to pray. Every morning, not morning. I wouldn't pray at 3.20 in the morning. If you're doing that, kudos. I'm not with you. Uh, 3.20 every day, 3.20 p.m. for the discernment and the direction that God would have for our church as a body Uh, and what our, what our purpose is, what our, what our plan is going forward, uh, into our community. And of all the lessons that I, I may have prepared for you this morning the one that I have uh, men this is really for you is if you have a thread on your shirt don't pull it this button right here is literally tied to this top button and uh, it, it's hanging on by a thread so t- Tim you probably shouldn't have sat there because if I start talking with my hands one of you is probably going to get this button um, so I'm going to apologize ahead of time will you please join me in prayer before we get into the text Heavenly Father, I just pray that uh that you will continue to be glorified through this service this morning. I just pray that that we will all understand what it is you would have us understand um, for each one of us individually today. Uh we can prepare messages, we can prepare sermons, we can we can prepare the song sets and the communion. Uh, but you have a personal relationship with each one of your believers lord and i just pray that that you will speak to the hearts individually you'll speak to the minds individually here today and and just give us uh, give us direction for your will in our lives and i just pray these things in your son's name amen so, before we get into the text this morning, uh, I just want to give a, a kind of a quick drive by on on ephesians and and who paul is uh, if you 're new. I know for me, when I when I entered a church for the first time, they, you know the, the the pastor or or whoever you know, I don't remember what the what the name of of the uh, the person up front speaking was, but I was really confused. I had no idea what they were talking about. They were talking about things in the Bible. I knew about the Bible, but I didn't know what these books were. Uh, so I just want to kind of give a brief overview for those of you that haven't been here. Uh, for those of you that have, if Taylor's here, you can put your earbuds in now and your Game Boy. Uh, he did say when Pastor Brent mentioned that I was going to be preaching that he was going to bring his Game Boy. So if you guys hear the doot, 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 that's Taylor. I'm going to call you out right now, but I don't see him, though. He's probably hiding out in the lo- in the hub. Uh, so first, very quickly, Paul was one of the most prominent early Christians in the church. Uh, he established a lot of the churches throughout Europe and um, on, but he wasn't always that way. His name was Saul. He was persecuting Christians. Uh, he was opposed to everything that they were teaching. And during one of his travels on Damascus, he, uh, he was, was blinded. Jesus came to him and, and literally he fell to his knees and he was blinded and God had a purpose for his life. So if you think that you're too far gone, if you think that there's things in your life that you can't come back from, uh I would encourage you to research Paul. Do a little study on who Paul is, because this is not going to do justice to who he is or, or the impact that he's had uh throughout history for Christianity. Uh but he's he's written a, a large portion of the New Testament through his letters to the churches, and he uh he was was He was imprisoned, and eventually he died as a martyr. And the book of Ephesians is a letter that was written to the church in Ephesus, and it's believed that, that the letter was actually probably circulated through other churches as well, and it's different than his other letters. His other letters he was writing to the churches to correct behavior or address situations that were going on in the church uh, that shouldn't be happening. This this letter was more of a guidepost for Christians and for the early church on how to behave, how we should we should go out into our communities and the things that we should be doing as a church body. Uh, so it's it's quite different than the other letters. Thankfully, it was preserved and it was put in the Bible for us to learn from as well. So if for those of you that are following along, uh, we are in uh, chapter five, verses eight through 14. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So the approach I took was to kind of take this in two different parts. And the first part we're going to focus on is, is verses eight through 10. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to acknowledge the darkness. We're going to acknowledge that, that Paul is saying here, at one time you were darkness. And we heard last week, we heard Pastor Brent talk about, uh, the crude and the inappropriate behaviors, uh, that were common. It's not mine. That were common in in the time that Paul was writing these letters. And I want to quickly look back at verse five, uh, verses 6 through 7. Because that's going to help lay the groundwork for what Paul is getting to in verse 8. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. And the four that Paul is referring to is, is prefacing. He prefaced it in this referring back. He's reminding the Gentiles of the church that, that this is who you were. So don't take part in these things. Don't take part in these old behaviors. They may feel common to you, but that's not who you are now in the light of the Lord. this transformation took place. You were that darkness, but now you're not. It's almost as if he's saying, because, don't do this because now you are this. Now I don't want to spend too much time on the negative aspect of the darkness, uh, but I do feel it's crucial for us to remember that, that the darkness, so that, that we were in that darkness as well before we came to Christ. And if we lose sight of who we were before Christ, our eyes can easily readjust to that darkness. We the, the practices and the behaviors that we have become so accustomed to can can become commonplace again if we don't rem, if we don't remember back to who we were and remember what Christ has done for us. It's almost as if we're we're that person that, that wakes up in the middle of the night and and we're so familiar with our home that we can wake up and we we can walk down the hallway and we can we can make our way down to the pantry and. We know where the Halloween candy is and we, we sneak into that Halloween candy and we don't want to turn the lights on because we don't want to wake anybody up. And, and then all of a sudden you're walking back upstairs with no lights on and you step on a Lego and you scream and all the lights come on and you've got chocolate all over your face, a candy wrapper hanging out of your mouth. Don't judge me. But that's, that's how our sin can behave. That's how, that's how our nature can act out. When, when we know how to do these things, we don't want to get caught. We don't want anyone to know about it because we've gotten so used to navigating our way through the darkness. And that doesn't mean that we, that we relive these things or replay these things in our mind to remember. We're not, we're not going back to that tape and pushing play every time. But what is darkness? What is darkness? Darkness is sin. And sin is uniquely not unique. And what do I mean by that? We all sin. It's inherent in us. It's who, it's, it's, it's how, it's what we were born into. But each one of us performs it differently. Each one of us has a unique sin in our hearts, in our minds, but it's not unique. We all have sin in our hearts, and that's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ. But darkness can also mean, as Paul puts it here, can mean to be under Satan. Can mean that we are the sons of disobedience, or we were the sons of disobedience. And, the, and as Paul put it, the, 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 the fate was to be at the wrath of God. Destined for an eternity in hell, and that's not who we are. That's not who Paul is reminding the church. That's not who you are. So in order to look back at, at what we were destined for, it's acknowledging the source of our light. We're looking at we are now the children of light. It's a reminder of the hope, because we're now in the light of the Lord, that this transformation that happened inside of us. We are no longer under Satan. We are no longer in the darkness. We are no longer darkness ourselves. Paul tells the church that they weren't just illuminated. They weren't just shined on, but that the light actually lives inside of them. And I think we can all agree that that when you take a diamond, and when I had this written in here, I really thought my wife was still going to be in Rangeley. So this is not, I'm not foreshadowing a Christmas present or anything like that. When we take a diamond and we hold it up to the light, it shines through it. And it's it's beautiful. It creates these reflections and it's gorgeous, right? But did you know that 30% of all diamonds have what's called fluorescence in them? And that substance that's in those diamonds actually causes the diamond... Sorry, I'm talking with my hands. Causes the diamond to retain the light. And And what that does is you can take that light... You can take that diamond and bring it into the dark and it glows in the dark. So 30% of all diamonds have this in them. So I Googled, take it for what it's worth. How many people are there in the world? 7.7 billion people. Roughly, we know Christians probably aren't going to take all of these polls. 2.2 billion Christians in the world. What percentage of of that, of of 7.7 is 2.2? 29%. It's kind of neat, right? But as precious as diamonds are, as, as valuable as diamonds are, we as believers are that much more precious to the Lord. And as Paul says, he wants us to walk as children of the light. People don't buy diamonds just to go put them, put them on a shelf or hide them in a cabinet or a cupboard somewhere, right? They put them on their wrists. They wear them on their ears, around their neck, watches. Mine doesn't have any diamonds on it we they're on display, and Paul is saying, "Go walk as children of the light, go be on display for your community for your for your neighbors, for the people around you to show the light that God has placed inside of you then he goes on to say, The fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and in this verse he's prefacing he's he's almost Taking a side note here in verse nine he 's saying that good and right and true these are the things that you 'll find when you walk in the light these this is the produce this is the fruit, but Paul knows that the lifestyle uh, and that the, the believer is used to the commonplace in their culture uh, it it 's safe to assume that we that he knows that it 's not easy he knows that it 's not just something that that New believers or, or established believers are just going to be able to do a 180 just because he's telling them to. I mean, I, I think by all the letters that he wrote to the other church, he's seen it. He's experienced it in his travels, but he's telling them that these behaviors, the goodness, the righteousness, the truth, they're the produce of the light. And then he goes on to, to tell them that, that it will show whose child you are. You're no longer sons of disobedience. You are now children of the light. I remember when Jess and I were expecting all of our children, but especially Wyatt, because he was our first. I remember, uh, you know, during the pregnancy, wondering who, who he was going to look like. Parents, you can probably identify with that, right? It's exciting. And you're wondering whose characteristics they're going to have. And I remember, I remember when he was first born, just just analyzed just soaking him in and staring at him. And, and all of our kids, not just Wyatt, and wondering, you know, b- before I, I jumped ahead a little bit, wondering, who, you know, is he going to look like me? Is he going to look like Jess? And I remember the first time that someone saw him, people that we knew, you know, when we took him out, Everyone would say, "Oh, he's a Jones." You can you can tell that's Jeremy's kid. But as he's gotten older, those same people are now saying, "Oh, he looks like Jess." He's, his characteristics are changing. His facial features are changing. He's got her nose. He's got her hair. And that's similar to how our walk is when when people when we see people that used to know us when we see people that that knew the characteristics and the behaviors that we used to have, and now they see the transformation that's happened in us, that should be evident by our walk. That should be evident by the the fruit that we show. Morally, these fruits are opposite to what darkness produces. When we were the sons of disobedience, righteousness was not there darkness acts out in sin but as children of the light righteousness is present in our lives darkness breeds wickedness and the light leaves no room for for wickedness it leaves no room for the darkness through the goodness in our new lives transform, transformed through Christ and truth drowns out the lies. Truth doesn't allow the lies to infest us. Jesus states it better than I ever could. When one of his disciples, Thomas, claimed to, to that he didn't know how to follow Jesus to heaven, he didn't know how to follow him to eternity in heaven, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Thomas was stuck on a geographical destination, a path. How do I follow you down this path? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 5 through 6. Jesus is the way, and our light as believers should shine so brightly that it's blinding to those around us. That it's so blinding that they're able to follow the path. I know that doesn't make sense, but that's how it happened to Paul. Paul. And I'm not saying everyone in our lives is Paul, but we as believers need to allow our light to shine so that they can be led to the path of Jesus Christ. Even if they don't appreciate it at the time, even if they don't know what they're seeing, even if they don't understand what the purpose is. Our light may be the only visible uh, path that they have to something different. They may see these fruits and say, well, I don't know what that is, but I know it's not this. I know it's not what I'm used to. When someone flips on the light for the first time, it, it can be really bright, right? It, I mean, you kind of do one of these things and, and you don't want to look at it. You can get a little, little frustrated. That may happen if our light is being shown, but I can tell you this, it's not easy to get dressed in the darkness. And it's not fun wearing a polo inside out going to meet your HR manager for the first time. I would have really appreciated if I could have flipped the light on when that happened. And that may be how others around us see our light. They may say, I don't want to see that right now. But looking back, they may appreciate it. We don't know what God's plan is. But as long as we're walking as children in the light, our light is visible. Our fruit is visible to them. And then in verse 10, Paul uses the word discern, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And and discern typically means to um, examine or put to the test. But it can also mean that the results that are examined are accepted or they're pre approved. So Paul's telling them that these, the goodness, the righteousness, and truth, these are pre-approved things that are pleasing to the Lord. If we reword it this way, take a little liberty to kind of shuffle the words around. It's almost as if Paul is saying, trust but verify. Trust but verify. How do we do that? Trust but verify when I say that goodness, righteousness, and truth are pleasing to the Lord by walking as children of the light. Trust that these things that I say to you are good because they've been pre-approved. God says they are good. But the examining part, that how do we examine that we're walking as children of light? How do we understand that these things are being shown to those around us? Paul lays it out a little bit differently in Romans twelve two. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect Romans twelve two do not be conformed by this world. Paul is giving a, a warning here similar to the one in Ephesians when he says, "Let no one deceive you by em- with empty words we're to allow the the washing or the transforming of our minds, which doesn't happen overnight it's 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 a process but we're we're to we're called to allow that to happen so that we can discern we can test these things. Our salvation happens overnight, but this transformation in our minds is something that we need to practice daily, just like walking through that hallway is commonplace this is this is work it was for me it still is. I need to stay diligent in prayer. I need to stay in the word of God because I need to allow what his word says in his scripture to infiltrate through the darkness, to shine the light on my mind, allow that transformation to happen. Seeking the will of God, you may discern what is the will of God. Acceptable and perfect. Staying in the will of God is pleasing to the Lord. Then, In the second part this morning, Paul goes on to say, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's a, that's a pretty blunt call to action. He doesn't, doesn't really leave any room for interpretation there. Walking in the light as his children means the, the participation in these sinful acts, in, in the things that, that Pastor Brennan talked about are utterly unacceptable. And not just because it's bad for us, not just because it's yucky. But because light and darkness can't coexist. When when you take a light and you shine something on it, it's not dark anymore. There's no darkness. Maybe hiding behind it. But there is no darkness on that. It cannot exist when there's a light shined on it. Goodness is produced by the light of a belie- in the believer, how can wit- wickedness have a place to hide in one's heart? If righteousness is on full display in the life of one walking in the light, where is the room for the sinfulness to come in? And lastly, if the reader is, is living a life of truth, just as darkness is extinguished or, or drowned out, By the light, so too are the lies and the dishonesty. Chuck Smith sums it up this way. They are separate. Light and dark are separate. Mutually exclusive entities. So spiritually, you cannot walk in darkness and walk in light. If a man says that he has fellowship with God who is light and he is walking in darkness, he lies. He's not telling the truth. But, If we walk in light as he is in the light, then we do have fellowship with God as the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is continually cleansing us from all sin. So again, don't be deceived. If you are walking in darkness, then you can have fellowship with God. So have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Paul isn't isn't telling the church when we're supposed to To shine a light on the darkness. He's not telling us that, that we need to, um, that we need to walk around and and just criticize everything that everyone around us is doing. But he's also not telling us here that we can't, when when he says, don't, don't even talk about the things they do in darkness. We're not supposed to just have them guess what we're thinking, right? We're We have to talk about it, but what he's saying is don't give the filthiness that's found in verse 4 or the foolish talk or the crude joking. Don't give that life. Don't give that validity. Don't go into detail because it can be tempting to the person that is either talking about it or the person that you're trying to, to bring light to what they're doing. Temptations don't only occur in the darkness. Paul's saying that, that the 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 more detailed we go, the more dangerous it can be. So don't talk about the things that they do in the darkness, but shine a light on them. Oftentimes, light will imitate darkness, enticing us to believe that the lies, it's just a little bit, or I could probably handle it just once, or, or whatever the lie is that is trying to convince you that it's not that bad. The further we go into talking about those things, the more... Room, or the more, the more of a window it has to go back into that dark thought or those dark areas of our lives. And just because children of the light are walking in the light does not mean that the darkness, that the enemy will stay away. It's almost, uh, almost reinforces our need to continue to stay in the Word, to continue to, continue to pray on a regular basis. Most if not all of us have interactions with non-believers in our lives. I think that's fair to say. Whether it's at work or it's, uh, with our neighbors, family members. And we can't control what they say, so how do we shine the light on, on what they're doing? How do we react when an inappropriate joke is told to us? It happens to me all the time at work. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. Or someone tries to share their weekend endeavors. The examples are, I'm I'm sure you have your own examples, those own awkward interactions of how do I handle this? Indifference of sin is acceptance of sin. And what do I mean by that? If we just act like it's not a big deal, it can give the impression that we're okay with it. And I'm not saying that we need to, we need to be aggressive or we need to, you know, go after that person. But if we laugh at those jokes or we go along with those crude or inappropriate behaviors, it can give the impression to that person that's still in the darkness that we're okay with it. Now, as much as God hates sin, if we're children of the light and we're walking in the light, how can we give that impression that we're okay with sin? That we're okay with these things, these unfruitful works. But let's look at John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, if we if we interpret that, we're not here to condemn the person that's sinning. Our war is not with the sin. I mean with the sinner, it's with the sin. We're we're not running around trying to point out everything that everybody's doing is wrong, but how do we shine a light that they may see what they're doing is wrong? Anything that is exposed to the light becomes light. Paul's not saying that that it becomes light like you or I are light because we've been saved, we've been redeemed. What he's saying here is that it becomes illuminated, it becomes visible. And that's, that's what our task is. Our, our goal is to just make the things that are happening in these people's lives illuminated so that they might see, that they, that we might be able to bring it to light for, for what it is rather than continuing to allow that gray area to happen where they may think, well, maybe that person's okay with it. I know they're a believer. I, I've seen the things that they're doing, but they're okay with this. Maybe, maybe I'm okay. Maybe I can continue on doing it. but it's not our job to make them see it. And that's the difficult part. That's the hard part, especially for the people in our lives that we love, especially for the people that we're close to. You just want to shake them sometimes. How can you not understand? Don't you see what this is doing to your life? But it's not our job to make them see. We're called to walk as children in the light, illuminate the things in their lives, but only God can make them see Psalm 146, 8a, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. It's God will handle when he's prepared, allowing them to see that. We need to trust that as believers, but that's hard, isn't it? It's really hard to trust sometimes when it's right in front of us. But if we live our lives with full transparency it leaves no place for shadows. If light shines through a pane of glass, there's no shadow on the other side. That glass is fully transparent and it leaves no room for a shadow on the other side. If we live our lives the same way as children of Christ, it leaves no shadows for those around us to hide in and practice their sins. But it also leaves no shadows for us. It leaves no gray area in our lives if we're living a fully transparent life that allows the light to shine through and expose whatever is going on in our lives. And Paul finishes this this portion of the letter by stating something that that has a little little bit of a, um, a conversation and discussion around it, and it you know it causes some debate when it says it is said. It is said, a Waco sleeper. And it's generally accepted that what Paul is referring to, whereas, you know, typically Christians we understand in the Bible where it's thus says the Lord and and the things that are referred back to in Old Testament are are typically something that's found in Scripture. But what it's it's generally accepted that Paul is referring back to is, is a hymn or a song that was sung in the the time that the letter was written. And it's assumed that the reader would know exactly what he was talking about in their time. Um, So that's what we're going to go with. But basically what he's getting at is he's reminding them by finishing with this hymn that they are no longer destined for the things that the sons of disobedience are destined for. It's a reminder that they have been redeemed, that they are now children of light. They are now light- themselves because the Holy Spirit dwells in them. And I think it's, it's fair to say that for someone that's, that's not a Christian, it can be fairly obvious, uh, by their unfruitful works, can it, that they're, they're still walking around in darkness. They're still in a, in a sort of a spiritual slumber. But if, if we as His children don't step out with our light and go down those, those dark alleys or go into those areas in our communities or into our neighbor's yard or into our workplace and allow our light to shine, how can they wake from their slumber? But if we also don't allow the people that are sitting next to us in the church to get to know us on a personal level, how will they know if we're starting to slumber? How will they know if we're starting to to spiritually fall asleep in our walk with Christ? There are many things that we can do while we're sleeping. I was actually just, again, talking to be careful if you talk to one of the pastors out here before the service, you may get used. Um, I was I was talking to a a brother and we were talking about snoring and. uh, Weird, right? And he was he was saying that one time his wife nudged him to stop snoring and he responded in his sleep, and doesn't remember responding. There are so many things that we can do. We can talk in our sleep. We can have conversations. We can sneeze. We can cough. These are all things that we do when we're awake as well. Some people have reported even texting in their sleep, sleepwalking. These are all behaviors. These are all actions that that we can take when we're awake. So if we don't allow people that are close to us to know us on an intimate level, It can be hard for them to know when we're starting to spiritually fall asleep. I'm going to share a a quick story with you about my my experience sleepwalking. I sleep talk all the time, or I used to, but um, we can have good intentions when we're spiritually asleep. I I was probably 10 or 11, and I don't remember it because I was asleep. But my mom filled me in the next day that I was... I was walking, Our, my bedroom was upstairs, I came down, there's a platform, another set of stairs, had to turn the corner, go back through the entire length of the house, so this wasn't just a short jaunt up the hall, and, and I was sleepwalking, I wouldn't respond to her, and she let me make it outside, down another set of steps, and, and she followed me, she was following me the entire way, and she started to get concerned when I was walking into the road. And it was dark. We had one street light on our, on our road. She finally kind of got my attention and, and nudged me. And she asked, what are you doing? And, and she knew I was asleep. She didn't know if I'd respond. And I told her I was going to fight the Ninja Turtles. I, I had good intentions. They needed my help, and I was going to help them fight crime. We can have good intentions when we're slumbering. I don't think the Ninja Turtles needed me, but we can have good intentions. But if we continue to go down that path, if we continue to stay in that slumber, the darkness is waiting for us. The enemy wants us back. So if we have a, if we as a church don't allow the people in our lives to get close to us, if we don't allow our brothers and sisters in Christ to know who we are, How can we fight those spiritual battles? I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way down. But if we are the light, if we're supposed to walk out into our community to wake up the slumber that's going on around us, we need to allow the people that are close to us to hold us accountable, to shine their light on us so that we can take the fruit that Paul talks about and go out into the world Go out into our neighborhoods and shine the light that God has put inside of us. Will you please stand and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time today. I thank you for all the people in this room. And I just pray that, that you will continue to work in our hearts, that you will continue to transform our minds and that, that you will give us the confidence and the courage to go out into, into our, our small part of Waterville, Maine or whatever town we may live in, Lord, and just, just allow you to carry us as if we're lanterns of your light and, and just shine it wherever you would need it to be, Lord, but allow us to continue to, to be transformed, to work towards that sanctification process, Lord, That allows our lives to be transparent. That allows the light to just shine through us. Not leaving any area for those still in darkness to think that it's okay. Not allowing us to think that it's okay, Lord. Not allowing me to think that it's okay. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for his letters and all of the scripture that has been carried forward for us so that we can continue to learn and we can continue to understand what it is you would have us do here in this this lifetime. And I just pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.